0: Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. The Writer Experience Podcast is excited to announce that as of today's episode, we'll be joining forces with FlickeringMyth.com as part of the Flickering Myth Podcast Network. FlickeringMyth.com covers all aspects of geek culture and other stuff with news, reviews, features on the worlds of film, TV, video games, and comic books. The Flickering Myth Podcast Network is the home of the Flickering Myth Podcast, along with the weekly shows The Pick of the Flicks, That's a Classic, and the Four Color Film Podcast. And now, the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by Flickering Myth. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Amy Holden-Jones. Amy is a screenwriter of Mystic Pizza, Beethoven, Indecent Proposal, among many other features, and the creator, EP, writer of The Resident for Fox TV, and also the creator of Black Box on ABC. Uh, So Amy, how's it going? Thanks for joining us.
1: It's going great, Thanks. How are you?
0: We're not too bad. We're not too bad. Um, Tell us where you are in the world right now. I, I believe you had said you're in L.A.,
1: I'm in Los Angeles, yeah, which is where we have our writer's room. And I'm currently writing with Andrew Chapman, our co-EP, the last episode of season two of The Resident.
0: Amazing. So I briefly described who you are and what you've done. But as you mentioned before the podcast, you've done a lot. Uh, Would you mind describing to us kind of how you self-identify and and maybe give us a rundown of all the things you've done and then kind of where you're at right now?
1: I identify as a writer now. I started as a filmmaker. I made a student film and studied filmmaking at MIT and uh, it was a documentary. I wanted to make documentaries. And it won the, the uh, AFI International, the AFI uh, Student Film Festival, which was the only big one at the time. And one of the judges, Scorsese, gave me a job on Taxi Driver as his assistant. And that got me into fictional film and features. And I worked as an editor to make a living because I'm not independently wealthy. And then very young, in my 20s, became an independent film director. And I did a sort of cult classic called Summer Party Massacre and an art film called Love Letters, a comedy called Made to Order, and a thriller, uh, The Rich Man's Wife, which are four that I uh, either wrote or co-wrote and directed all of them. And uh, I could not get anywhere as a director because women were not allowed to direct at that period of time even into the 90s and um, in fact after directing four successful films I never once had an interview to direct a feature film that I did not write no one ever asked me (laughs) 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 and so I had meanwhile become more successful as a writer I didn't get to direct Mystic Pizza which I did write for myself to direct But did not get the opportunity to direct it, and it became successful. And so I started to get offers simply to write. And after that, I did Beethoven and a decent proposal, and became quite quite successful for a while as a screenwriter. So you know, I had I stuck with it and um, had small children at the time, and it was an easier lifestyle than directing. And uh, gradually, you know, you become the thing you do. I became more more writer than director. And um, although I'm I'm running a TV show, which I co-created now and writing on it, I suppose I could direct episodes. I actually don't seek seek it out because I find the writer is more powerful in television anyway. And I don't ever want to leave the writer's room. Uh, After many years in features, both writing and rewriting them, I moved into television because at the time, which was uh, 12, 13 years ago, television was becoming to me, more interesting than features. Also, I'd worked on just about every genre known to man and I kind of played out on features. But they were moving away from more serious subject matter at that time to the Marvel films and the, you know, the Pixar's which are gang-ridden. And um, it just didn't seem as vibrant a world as was coming out of television. And The idea that one could tell stories over time in which the characters lived for longer was appealing, and so I began writing pilots and sold pilots every year for many years. Had some shot, had one shot at the which I loved very much, was not picked up, and uh, others not picked up but paid for. That's the way the pilot world works. And then finally, uh, Black Box got made at uh, ABC, and uh, I moved on to The Resident, which is the current show that I co-created and now run uh, with Todd Harkin. He's the showrunner, but I'm the co-creator on the staff. So. I became an aficionado of television, which I truly love. I, once you get used to telling stories over time, it's harder to get, go back to the feature format. It starts to feel sort of like a short story instead of a novel, which is not to put any value judgment on either one, but if you get used to writing one form, it's hard to transition back to the other. So. And also it's extraordinarily difficult to uh, get a feature made still to this day. So it can take many, many years. Whereas in television, if we write an episode, you know, uh, the outline will be in, you know, and then the script will be being shot four weeks later. So it's very rapid reward, which
0: is great. Great. We, uh, you know, usually frame our episodes around specific themes for yours. As you mentioned, writing from TV has really become the more popular writing form. You know, you had written for major motion pictures. How have those things changed over time? binge watching is now like a thing people want to consume kind of longer form storytelling from a writing perspective how has that uh changed over time
1: well i'm not positive what you mean but um let me take a step ahead television uh they all have very different forms in which they work and tell for example writing a pilot is very different from writing an episode of the series once it's going Because a pilot is creating the characters in the world and stand alone on its own. And after that, you're part of a world where things have already been defined and it's somewhat easier. I think the main way that features have changed is the nature of what features are. It seems to be swinging back now that uh, Netflix and Amazon and people like this are making what used to be thought of as independent features. At the period that I stopped writing them, there were very, very few character-driven, smaller films and now they're proliferating again because they have a very brief theatrical release in only a few cities and then go directly into streaming which makes them more commercially viable and uh, I think that's a great thing personally but the viewing has changed I don't I think very few people watch those movies in the theater I imagine many more people watch Aroma, for example, uh, streaming than they do by going out to see it. And so it's, it's changed. Once you change the way people view things, you change the format. People go out now to see event movies more than anything else. So very big comedies where they can laugh with other people, horror movies where they can scream with other people, and a giant special effects films where, you know, the experience of viewing is much different than it would be if you saw it on the home screen. And Pixar movies where you get to go out with your kid and they get the magic of the movie going experience. The technology tends to drive the art form in almost every area. So for example, uh, Impressionism was made possible because they started to put oil paints in tubes. And once oil paints were in tubes, you could take your paints out into nature and paint directly from nature. That is sort of what happens in our business. You know, the motion pictures began with the camera, and all of the early films split into both either documentary, which is one of the things film does, or story pictures, or magical realism, or, you know, filmed plays, or dramas. And the nature of what they looked like changed as the cameras changed. First, sound changed them, and then the cameras were so big they couldn't move. So that if you look at an older movie, you'll see many fewer setups and much larger. Uh, Images, uh, much larger scene-like images, whole takes, scenes played in whole takes, uh, a lot fewer cuts. And that's because of how they had to be shot with the heavy cameras and how they had to be cut. It used to be that when people edited real film, they had to scrape the emulsion way of the film and glue the other side of the film on. So each time you made a cut in the film, you lost a frame, and that meant a lot fewer cuts. So once that stopped and you could cut as often as possible with the butt splatter, you started to have the films of the 70s and 80s, which were much more cutty. And the cameras were lighter and much more mobile, so you had more handheld. And in television, you had more, you get more, the Steadicam comes in, and you get an ER, and you get a West Wing. So people think the technology is driven by the, the, the changes in the art form are driven only by the word or the concept, but actually the word and the concept are somewhat driven by the technology. And the technology now is changing the industry every day. And I don't know where it's going, but an awful lot of people are watching my smaller things on YouTube. So that's a big change. If I were young and beginning, I'd probably be doing my own films on YouTube rather than what I'm doing now. So I have to figure out how to make money on <laughs> that, which is a problem. That's
0: a whole other challenge, gives, yeah.
1: But it gives you independence. Absolutely. You don't have to wait to get hired anymore. In my era, you had to wait to get hired. It made it impossible for a woman to be a director because they simply didn't hire women. The standard words were the movie crew is like an army, and the director has to be like a general, and uh, it should be a guy. And that was said over over and 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 over again. And of course, all the people who hired you were men, and people tend to hire those who are like themselves. So... Some things are the same. Too many movie critics are white men, and therefore a lot of the criticism of film and television is driven entirely from a white male perspective, and really that ought to change. It's not right, but, uh, but other things are different, and one hopes there's progress, and certainly there are a tremendous number of women directing in television and doing a spectacular job, and a, and a tremendous number of writing also. And once there are more who pick the content on television which is changing there'll be more and more female driven television shows or female created whether female driven or not i don't consider the resident to be female driven um even though in the co-creator it's uh i don't think we can only, that women only need make content in which all the leads are women that's, that's another sort of trap but i believe it has strong women in it and um strong leads and great diversity on every front
0: in TV now you have a showrunner you have an executive producer you have a you know producers you have writers can you walk us through the difference in those for you you're also a creator do you mind describing to us where the line blurs
1: well the creator has the power a lot if they wish to keep it has the power in television some creators don't sometimes they create the pilot in the show and hand it off to a showrunner then the showrunner has becomes more or less their show but among writers, I think generally it's considered your show if you are the creator, and your sensibility is expected to form the direction and the content of the show. So Big Little Lies, for example, it's David Kelly, I believe, and that I don't recall whether he wrote every episode, but I believe that he the template of that show or of Goliath is in the pilot and is carried forward very strongly. The creator controls the pilot very much, no matter what. And so you're casting it and hiring all the T's, which means the DPs and the, all of that stuff, in conjunction with, of course, the director of the pilot, who's a very powerful force also. But um, that pilot director leaves and you remain with it. So the auteur theory never is, is pretty shaky in features, even though directors wanted to perpetuate it. Spring plays a very, very powerful element of what if film ends up being. And television it's more powerful. The the writer has the power of television as to what the different roles are. The showrunner can vary from show to show. Like Todd Harthen is our showrunner who and I adore him and Ivan Shaken was my showrunner on Black Box and I am a collaborator and share creativity and power and try to get the best that everybody has to offer and todd and i i consider to be partners i think he does far far more of the daily dealing with the issues on set and with the cast and dealing with the network with their concerns and the studio with their concerns he handles all those calls and he has tremendous input on stories and does rewriting and writes his own episodes so I consult with him on everything, and he consults with me on everything, and we don't rewrite each other. Um, But the overall theme of each season, the arc of the thriller, the direction of the characters, the nature of what the show is, comes from me, and I'm sure he would happily admit that. So that's a constraint he has to work in. But I think that I give him so much input and so much power, and he deserves and earns so much input. So much power. Uh, we have a great relationship. Typically, showrunners and, and creators can end up in some degree of a power struggle. That has never happened with me. Uh, I the same. Re- I had the same relationship with Annie and Black Box it was very much out of my head, but um, in my show. But uh, I mean, it's tremendous creative force of her own, and made incalculable contributions. And I leaned on her very heavily for the mechanics of how a show works and where we were going and who we hired even in the writing staff because she had done it all before and I hadn't and because her input was great and desirable. So it kind of depends on the personality of the creator if there, and it depends on the personality of the showrunner. There are, and the, the creator and showrunner determine how much power the staff has. There are television shows in which the, they're all gang written. so. I don't know how they do the overall arc, but say the writers will know they'll be doing an episode of a MacGyver type of show. I'm not saying this happens on MacGyver. I have no personal knowledge of it, but a procedural type of show, for example. The lower levels will do outlines and and so on. Then they might do even first passes, the next level up, will do the next pass, the next level, the next pass, the next level, the next pass, until it gets to the very top and they do the final pass. So the whole thing has many, many hands on it, and who gets right. the credit is sort of randomly assigned. But that's not how our show works. We, I uh, work out the entire season on a board in the arc for all characters, together with the staff. People contribute their own ideas for episodes. Um, Todd and I both work with them on the outlines Um, and you do a uh, three-page story outline, which is okayed by the network and studio of the major stories of the episode. Then you do a 16-page extremely detailed scene-by-scene outline. And I tend to have a lot of input on those, but not with every writer, with most of them. Then people write their own drafts. And for under the gun, sometimes we'll all divide scenes. So perhaps somebody on staff is better at um action scenes or emotional scenes or witty repartee and they might be given the first pass on scenes like that but in general on our show the credited writer is uh deserves to be the credited writer so and i try to give so does todd everyone their own voice and their own uh, passion for their own stories so, we also work in teams a lot like we're shooting a. Justin is shooting an incredibly important episode, which has two parallel storylines. One about uh, uh, based on an actual, not based on, but inspired by an actual case, and it's a very high-stakes episode with two major storylines. One uh, dealing with the potential for terrible errors in simple childbirth, and the other dealing with gun violence. And this is a very serious, high-stakes, dramatic episode, and both stories were brought to me by my co-writers. I co-wrote it with Tiana Langham and Chris Basunian, who are a couple, and they brought those stories, and, but the balance of them and the theme, we worked out together, and they brought in the, the real case, and they are on the set, not me, so it's very much a joint effort, and we kind of love it that you get more heads together that way. There are other, some episodes that I write alone and there are a lot that I now write with Andrew Chapman, who I'm now writing the finale with. He wrote the finale with him last year. We just worked together really, really well. Doing yeah. it so hard you, I mean, we have 23 episodes that's 23 hours of, of
0: television. That's with, a lot. You know, over a seven month period so that's like
1: the equivalent of 12 features. So you would have to be superhuman to do it alone. And I think you'd be less uh, strong for it because um more voices bring more variety and more interest usually I
0: You mentioned uh working in the writer's room. Uh someone I imagine when you were writing let's say Mystic Pizza or, or a feature script, mm-hmm. I imagine you were maybe writing on your own or with maybe just one or two people. How it does no,
1: complete, completely on completely my own. That's on an your own screenplay.
0: Gotcha. That's a different okay.
1: that's a different and totally different thing. Um Some people write with partners. There's all kinds of varieties that way. So, for example, Beethoven was an existing script by a writer who had no interest in continuing, and I was hired to rewrite it during production and ultimately rewrote it front to back before shooting with a lot of input from Ivan Reitman. And the original writer did not like the rewrite and uses a pseudonym in the final script, but we have shared credit, which is hard to get in features. The original writer has to be rewritten massively to get shared credit so that we never saw each other. The similar with The Getaway, I rewrote on that one, but um, never dealt with the original writer and got shared credit. The other, you know, on Made to Order, which I directed, Randy and Perry Howes did the original script and I did a very big rewrite and we agreed among us to share it. The same is true with Mystic Pizza. Mystic Pizza is an original screenplay and it's generally credited to me. The actual credit on screen has three names, uh, including Randy and Perry House, who I co-wrote made it over with. And that is because the credit was never arbitrated because I wanted Randy and Perry to get some credit. The script went through two or three years of endless um, mashups by the producer who had it rewritten by everybody under the sun and randy and perry were the last people who returned it to the original screenplay with one difference they eliminated one of the girls that had four young women not three i don't i know no one would have gotten screen credit if i'd arbitrated it but i was very grateful and remain so to randy and perry for basically saving the original script and so i didn't arbitrate the But, you know, it's a lot of different scenarios for how these things work. And on different television shows, you may have more or less power. The biggest difference between television and features is that it is a group activity and there is a ladder up. In other words, you can start on a show as a staff writer or even just as a, you know, a PA in the room. And if you write scenes that are good or throw out good ideas, gradually you make it up to story editor. And there's a whole series of steps ending up with being a co-EP and then an EP, which are near the top. And that's as high as you go if you're not the creator. But you advance steadily if you're in good. And in screenwriting, there's no ladder up. You're dependent on somebody finding your script, reading it, and liking it enough to give you work. And there's very little work out there, very little. There used to be assignments, but the assignments that exist go to a handful of people, mostly men, already out there who've done a million things and you might do multiple projects
0: at one time. In a writer's room, there are obviously a lot of personalities, I imagine. Which oh, yeah. Which are you in that room? Are you the the loud, boisterous person? Are you the, the quiet voice in the room who says profound things every few minutes? What, where do you fit into the, into the mix? Well,
1: since I'm the creator, I get to be the person who, who first hired all
0: those
1: people. <laughs> <laughs> It's a sort of a thing, but um, I I think I I try to be the open person to ideas, uh, but I shape the stories. I'll say, no, it's not going to be that. Yes, it is going to be that. So when people throw out ideas, I'm the person who goes, no, not that way, or yes, this way. But we don't have that many, we have no boisterous or difficult people. Todd and I have hired very carefully so that everyone one of the great things about our show is how wonderful the people are who work on it, both on the crew and in the writer's room. We have no difficult personalities, no dominating personalities, no people who silence other people, or at least I certainly hope we do not. And I don't, I've never seen it, <laughs> not in my presence. And um, we've let people go who had that quality. But. There are showrunners, and I'm not going to name names, who are bullying and cruel, who make people stay till 10 p.m. even when there's nothing left for them to do, who humiliate them publicly if they don't like their ideas. You know, there's good and bad in any area you work in, and it's very, you know, power can corrupt people very badly. I spend a lot of my time trying to be someone who is not corrupted by the brief moment of power that I have on a particular show.
0: Hey everyone! We just wanted to take a quick second to thank you, our listeners, for your continued support. The Writer Experience podcast has been self-funded from the beginning, so whether you're an aspiring writer who has taken inspiration from the podcast, or just enjoy hearing from professional writers, please donate to our Patreon at patreon.com slash writerexperience. You can also go to our website writerexperience.com and click the Patreon button. Thank you again, we really appreciate your support and now back to the show you mentioned that there's a benefit to writing multiple episodes or writing one arc across multiple episodes what are those benefits do you get more out of it are you like yeah i can tell a greater story it's like writing a novel as opposed to being forced to write 120 pages
1: yes and the the characters evolve over time and you can that's what's great about it and you get to as the actor brings their contribution to the role, you begin to write to the actor. So the better the actor, the more flexible, the more they deliver on the material you give them, the more scenes you give them. I think Malcolm Jamal Warner is a good example on our show, who came in as a character, had always been on the boards, but came in late in the 11th episode of the first season, and uh, was such a presence in such a character that we all began to write to him and his backstory grows as you go along and his relationships to the others change. You get to see what he does and what he brings and play to that. Do they have an ability for humor? Then you give them humor. Do they have an ability for, um, you know, emotional, deeper scenes? Then you give them that. And the actors have demands too. So, you know, and Emily Van Camp or Bruce Greenwood might say, I, I don't want, To be doing this and my character wouldn't do that and you listen to them and try to convince them if you disagree and try to absorb their input at the same time as as they are also part of the creative process so it's a it's an incredibly fungible and constantly evolving thing and unbelievably interesting as a result because it is collaborative it's not just one person in a room writing a novel it is voices in a room who are contributing their experience it is Voices on the set who are contributing their input to, uh on their character and their performance is deepening it or or shading it. it is the directors who come and go have have contributions that they make there's a different one on each episode, so it's more transient with the directors but you know my other thing is I'm sort of as an editor I was a a union editor when I was very young, so I also work really hard in the editing room and consider it the final rewrite but um it's It's freaking fascinating. It's much more deep and complicated than writing for features you' you don't have to be you're not necessarily allowed on the set of a feature you write. I wasn't on the set of many of the big features that I wrote. I was never on the set of mr. Pizza. Oh, wow! Uh, I was on the set of indecent proposal once and um you're constantly dealing with the fact that the you did in my era the fact that the directors wish to be thought of as the auteur so they often don't want the writer around at all, because it reminds people that they're not the author, that somebody else wrote it. And there are some directors who don't do that, but the majority in features do, do not treat writers well. Crews often don't treat writers well. It's strange, but crews often make a differentiation of us and them, and the writers are them, and those on the set are us. And you have to try to fight that and keep everybody on the same team.
0: You mentioned that uh, on TV now there's a different director. Oftentimes there are many different directors. What's the reasoning behind that, and what are the pros and cons to that?
1: Well, they couldn't do it. They couldn't possibly do it. It's um, one person couldn't do them all unless you shoot more. Even in cable, they don't do it because the director has to do pre-production. So if you're when we are shooting, we'll be shooting one episode. Say we start on a Monday, and we shoot for eight days. So That director has been in prep for, you know, a week or two weeks before that, while the previous episode was shooting. The Friday before the Monday, they finished shooting the previous episode, so the same director couldn't do the next one, because they wouldn't be able to do pre-production on the next one, plus their own episode, plus post on their own episode. So that director works from Monday to Friday in the next three days. Most episodes are shot in eight days, not all. Then they're done, and on the ninth day, the next episode is shooting. So two directors are around. One's doing pre-production on the next episode. One's shooting the current episode. And then once they're done shooting the current episode, by DGA rules, they have the right to go be in the cutting room for, I don't know, three or four days. And some do that, and some don't. A lot of them don't bother going to the cutting room, but some, but many do. And if they don't go to the cutting room, they do, you know, contribute notes usually on the cut. But they don't have final cut. I do. So once they're gone... I go in and uh, consider the director's cut and, and work from it, but I can also go back to the editor's cut and to the dailies and do anything I want. So it's the final power in television is with the creator, it's not with the director.
0: Tell us about the script format. Many people are familiar with the feature script format, but the television script format isn't as talked about. There's not many books about it. How does it differ?
1: It's well, completely different, and it depends on where you are in television. So there are many, many, many cable shows now. Some of them have commercials and act breaks. If you consider, you know, premium channels—not like HBO and Showtime, but not paid per view channels, but AMC and things like that—cable, they are uh, or off-network anyway. They still have commercials, so you have to build in acts. So Network television all has commercials, and each network has a different format. Some have what is called a cold open, in which you have a a hooky first six or seven pages, then the main title, and then the rest of the first act. But they all have between four and six acts. And in those acts, you have to build to the act break and know that there's a commercial break in there, and then you have to bring the audience back after the act break. So that could be a four-act structure, a five-act, or a six-act structure. And that's built in. To the structure of a network show and many of the others. If you're doing this pilot, for example, was actually written first for um, Showtime. It was pitched to FX and Showtime. They both tried, wanted it, and we went with Showtime. And Showtime has no commercial. So the original pilot script was much edgier, though this pilot itself is, is edgier than the series has become. Suit cable. And um, when Showtime elected not to do it. It was picked up immediately by Fox that same day. Then it had to be gently massaged to be more of a network show, and all the upgrades had to be built into it until that was done. Also, cable shows often are not multiple camera the way most networks are. They're single camera, and they have more time in which to shoot them. So no network show is ever going to look like Ozark because they're shooting a single camera. They have way more time to shoot it in. They're not stuck. I mean, they're not on stages. Almost all network shows have a large portion shot on stages. If you think of something like The Good Wife, for example, you have the whole legal offices, you have the right. courtroom, you have her apartment. All of those are sets, and so and they have to be because if you're only shooting in eight or nine days, which is what you must do, you can't move all the time. You have to be on sets because you can move much faster and get that much material done. So it's just like everything else, it's driven by the technology of it. You know, Game of Thrones, for example, how does that get to be so good? Well, they, you know, they say they spent $15 million in episode. I don't believe it. I think it's probably way more than that. And they're shot like features. They're shot on their own time schedule. And um, over many, 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 many days, they'll shoot, you know, one battle scene in eight days. Forget shooting the whole thing in eight days. So they're going to always look different. In that case, they also are able to hook viewers with um, sex and violence of a level that you can't show on network television. So sex and violence are big sellers and always have been and always will be. The triumvirate is sex, violence, and humor. So um, network television has to try to keep viewers and attract viewers and give them compelling storylines without two of the building blocks of most commercial endeavors. So you know, it's all—it's it's really complicated, if you can hear. <laughs> sort of, It's—it is, but you know, that's why the apprentice system works so well. Is that if you come up in the writers' room or whatever, you learn these things as you go along and um, incorporate them.
0: You mentioned pitching a pilot. Um, what's the difference these days in pitching? a movie versus pitching a TV show, is the art of the pitch the same or is there you know, a secret to one or the other?
1: Well, pitches don't sell in movies anymore, uh, not on any reasonable level. People who pitch and sell are generally established writers. And I don't mean that in every case, but it used to be when I did features, if you went out with a good pitch and you were, you had a good track record or a good spec, you had very high likelihood of selling it. You have very low likelihood of selling it now. There just isn't development money out there for features. And in television, however, if you have a really good pilot pitch and something to show you can write, or even an area of expertise, you have a high likelihood of selling it. But just as in the old days, for example, there were like 10 scripts sold for a million dollars each in the heyday of the 90s and 2000s. If 10 sold for a million dollars, each one in those 10 was actually made. So they overbought and made few, so you could make all that money but never see a movie made, and that was very common. And in television what happens is, say you're trying to sell to a network, which in drama they used to, and it may be fewer now, uh, buy 60 drama pilots at each network. And each network has a different profile, so what sells at each one is different. But say you're pitching a procedural CBS type of show, then say you sell this and you now have 60 coming in, say it's a cop show, okay, they've bought five other cop shows because they want a cop show. So you're actually up against those five or maybe six even shows that are cop shows. Your script goes through development and when it goes in, they don't like it, you're dinged, you're out of it right away. Say you keep going and you're now one of three as it advances up the, up the pile. Then you end up one of two that goes to less whoever whoever's equivalent is now. I don't know if he's running CBS now. To decide which one they're going to pick. What makes it so hard to get to be a show creator is you're probably up against somebody who has four other shows on the air. You're probably up against somebody who's done other cop shows or has current cop shows or other shows on the air. They're not gonna pick your pilot. It doesn't matter if it's 10 times better than that person's pilot. It's as if you were trying to get a book published and it was you or Stephen King. And your book was really good, but he was Stephen King. Right. You don't have a shot, it's gonna be Stephen King. And so you have all these shows that are with multiple people are producing show after show after show, not staying with them, leaving them to be run by other showrunners, but there is the producer. Those are the shows that get picked up and it makes it very, very difficult. To break in. It's only because Black Box was made as a summer show that I got as far as I did to get to the resident. And I had many pilots that I think were among the best things I've written in my career that were passed on in favor of shows that were far inferior, but were either about a subject matter that interested that person at the time or were by a well known person i had a big pilot at abc which was almost made and then shonda rhimes spun off a show and that was the end of that of course they were going to go with the shonda rhimes show no question about it but who can blame them i had a show at cbs one of my very best pilots i'm still trying to get made oh they loved it they loved it very much it was a big book it was a huge sale it was Imagine and um shows in washington were a fan and less <laughs> picked up something called the surgeon general which of course was never made but then they shoot those. So say you made it to get shot. Now, three medical shows are shot, say, or two. They might pick up none of them, or they might pick up one of them. Which one they pick up depends on what else they picked up and what's on the schedule and who ended up being cast. It's so much out of your control. Once it's actually picked up and going, you have more control. But getting to that point is very difficult. That's why so many people staff and so much work in television is in the writer's room is because you get a job, you're on the show, it's a going show. You don't have to get it off the ground. Right. But it's hard for staff writers to end up being creators, even for showrunners, because once showrunning is very difficult and once they get somebody in the box of being a showrunner and they're good at it, they are less inclined to advance that person by buying their pilot and making them a creator because they need them as a showrunner. So there is that. So it's none of it's easy, but staffing on shows is far easier than it used to be to sell to get to be a feature writer, or it is today to be anything else. There's a tremendous amount of work. If you can write a television episode, you will get a job. There's no doubt about it. And there's for, so many. There's so many jobs in television. So many as writers.
0: For the new writers, how do they get their foot in the door?
1: Forget pitching. First, you have to get a really good sample. So. Say you wanted to write for a little, let the past, present, the present, Nurse Jackie, or um, so you would write a sample of episode of Nurse Jackie, and if you showed you could do those characters and match their dialogue, you could probably get a meeting or even have a specialty. Any doctor or lawyer uh, or cop uh, or detective who can write decently and, under- and work with writing staffs will probably work because... It's very hard to find people with the skill in their area to come on board, and they might start as a consultant or whatever, but like we have a brand new staff writer who's a doctor and a novelist uh, at Harvard, and um, she co-wrote the 20th episode of this season, Snow Day, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. And she began consulting with us. She thought us out. She wanted to do the work. Her novel's wonderful. She didn't know about screenwriting. I brought her into the room. I showed, she stayed with us for several weeks on her own. Then I said, write something. Just write anything. Show us the spec write, spec, write a thing. So she spec wrote a script within a few weeks, and it showed wonderful, sparkling dialogue. And we had taught her what final draft was, and uh, now she's a staff writer So, and doing episodes. So having that expertise helped take a class, you know, read a lot of pilots. When I had to write feature scripts back in the day, the first time I had to write a comedy, I went to the guild and I pulled out my favorite comedies and I read them. And too many people don't go read the scripts. They just look at the episodes and they think that teaches them something. It does not. You have to read the scripts. You have to read what is actually done. And if you want to learn the format, it's as easy as going online and getting that, you know, getting a script. You can get the pilot for Nurse Jackie if you want to do cable, it's online. You can get the pilot for any number of shows that are available online, and if not, then you go to the Writers Guild or the Television Academy or wherever and sit there and read scripts you'll, and you'll see, you can you can learn the format from looking at it for any particular show.
0: Is there one particular learning that you've had from your career that you would pass along to those aspiring writers you were just speaking to?
1: Well, it depends what they're trying to do. It's all different these days. If you're trying to write an independent feature, you have a much easier row to hoe than I did, you, and you, or direct. You can write it and start shooting it on your cell phone. You know, you can, you can get, when I did Slumber Party Massacre, I was 26 years old when I started, 27 when I finished. And I was a successful editor already, and I didn't want to be typed into that. I was supposed to cut ET, but it was kept being pushed back. So I had never really written anything, and I got the script for a show called Don't Open the Door, which Roger Corman had. It was a low-budget filmmaker, exploitation filmmaker, a famous one, and um, did the first six pages on film, and I got access to a cinematographer and a camera because I'm married to one, and my next-door neighbor was a sound man, and I got actors from you know, UCLA who were studying acting. And we did the first eight pages of the script, which I had rewritten, in our living room. And I put it together on a friend's cam at night, and I put tracks on it and dropped it off to Roger Corman, and he hired me to do the rest of the movie. And that became called The Party Massacre. All of a sudden, I was director, and I backed out of E.T. Now, the script didn't work on any level when I read the rest of it, so I had to rewrite it, which I did. And that was the first thing that I wrote. And Roger was the first person to tell me, you can do this, you can write. And uh, today, it would be much easier. You can do anything and shoot it on your own if you have the initiative. It doesn't cost anything to shoot digital, to cut on your own laptop. You can end up at a film festival. You can make short films on YouTube if you have that passion. And if you don't and you want to write, then you pair with somebody who does and start turning out films Our post-production Supervisor Sam Friedlander has been making great YouTube stuff for quite a while, and he just did this, and he just won the Santa Barbara Film Festival, and he'll be, I hope, directing an episode for us next season as a result. But he should be able to make it as an independent filmmaker now. He's not wealthy. It's because digital's cheap now; you can do it on your own. It wasn't cheap before.
0: Amazing. We always do something we call a series of seemingly random questions. Would you be down for some quick? Rapid fire questions.
1: Sure, just don't let me talk too long because
0: I gotta get out of here. But go ahead. No worries. Um, we'll, I'll try
1: to make the answer shorter. Okay.
0: <laughs> Not at all. First one's pretty easy. Uh, if you could take any writer to any fast food restaurant, which writer and which restaurant, and why?
1: Do you mean a television or movie writer, or any writer in the world?
0: Any writer in the world, living or dead. To
1: a fast food restaurant. <laughs> Well, since it's fast food, I'd honestly, I'd probably take Anthony Bourdain, but he's dead. <laughs> Just because he'd be great with his fast food. But if it were for the conversation, um probably take Mark Twain. Any reason? No, I think he's brilliant and funny and witty and self-deprecating. I'd love to hear what it was firsthand about life on the Mississippi.
0: Second question, you mentioned earlier Marvel films. There's a lot of them. Well, I'll say superhero movies. Um, will we ever see, like, an end to this whole superhero f- movie phenomenon?
1: Well, uh, it's been over for me for a while, but um, I don't think so. There seems to be a very primal thing um, of, of wishing we all had superpowers. So they're going to have to change because they're getting they, – they're still working, but they will change. as the technology changes, again, they'll provide different experience and continue to exist. Well, it, Comics have been around forever now. I, I don't think it'll ever end.
0: Next question. What's one thing about your life or career that nobody knows?
1: One thing about my life or career that nobody <laughs> knows? Wow. <laughs> I think everybody knows everything. I think few people realize that I am fundamentally an editor, and that I am someone who likes to perfect and do things over and over, that I was able to write by seeing that it wasn't just about making things up. That you could almost think of writing as nonfiction, even when it was fiction. That good writing is about truth of character and truth truth in scenes. And good performances are also. Good writing is when you recognize a real moment, as a real life moment. Good, good laughs come from a line, not that it's a joke per se, but is a line you recognize as, as real. I do think of things and doing them off and whatnot but I draw very much from life my own experiences my own passions and others and from reading far more non-fiction than fiction actually
0: the last question is the most important question of the day brace yourself did you have fun today? did I have fun today
1: talking to you? yeah people always have fun talking about themselves <laughs> it's really sad <laughs> hope somebody else
0: got something out of it <laughs> absolutely so that's it i know you, you have stuff you gotta do but we really really appreciate you taking the time and speaking to us and talking tv and movies and it's really an honor best of
1: luck best of luck uh good luck with the podcast it's a great
0: time. we appreciate it so thank okay. you amy have a great day thank you and thank you to our listeners we hope to see you next week thank you so much for listening to the writer experience if you enjoyed the episode today please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.